You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, good evening, everybody. Uh, as I told you, um, in, in the summer here now, and especially this this five-week gap between when camp actually starts, it gives us a little more flexibility and to do some things we want to do. And um, we're going to look, uh, you know, Pete's here. We have a very special guest with us this evening, someone we've been uh, interested in sitting at, uh, down to talk with. Um, in for our Ohio listeners, there's a, a nice parlay in there for you folks, all our Ohio State fans. Um, us Brown, my Browns listeners, uh, Pete's going to get into this. There's a really nice little tie in there as far as where our guest Kyle Murphy, former Arizona State uh, All-American guard, um, where he's going to fit into all this and obviously some stuff he can tell us. Um, the show tonight, uh, obviously for your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound, brought to you by Hotels.com. Um, look, you see Facebook posts, any social media posts, friends, family, whatever, people are getting away. You know, Don't get upset. You know, Don't hate like stuff. Go to Hotels.com. Make your own plans and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. They don't discriminate. Anybody can use it. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. Um, Pete, first off, buddy, how you doing? Are you okay, sir? Oh, I'm I'm great. I I I am excited because first I'm going to take a giant shot at one Ryan Burns because he's an asshole for not <laughs> this pod put together for for the longest time, and as a result, Kyle and I and our united hatred of the Los Angeles Lakers can hope that thing continues to rot in hell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm a Laker hater. There is no question about that. Uh, well, I mean, come on, guys. I mean, you go out and get the best player in the game for, you know, maybe that year and a half that's left in LeBron's body. And if you notice, the craziest thing about it is you see so much more talk of LeBron's kid and Dwayne Wade's kid. And she, it's just kind of like, guys, give it up. It's your kid's time. It's it's their time to shine. It's over. Um, we'll let that go. But like I said, Kyle Murphy, um, former Arizona State, uh, obviously started uh, offensive lineman. All-American, you know, if you guys go back to the team, played in the 97 Rolls Bowl. Um, Kyle, first things first, what got you out of California to Arizona? Um, Well, I actually grew up in Portland, Oregon, so I would have only lived in Southern California uh, for three years. I came down here when I was a sophomore, started my sophomore year out here, and then uh, got the opportunity to be recruited, and I had family out in Arizona at the time, my aunt and uncle that I was very close with were living out there. So, and my chance to start was really, uh, I started three games uh, after I redshirted. Um, I redshirted in 93, started three games in 94. So it was really those opportunities on top of my offensive line coach, who was Dan Cazetto. Uh, I really connected with him. You know, he was no nonsense, told, told me the truth. This is what it's going to be. It's going to be really hard and, you know, but we're going to make you better. So everything for me fell into place at Arizona State. All right, Pete, jump in here, bud. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> no, and the reason I take a shot at, at, at Ryan Burns, uh, who I love, but is a selfish asshole, because he knows all these stories, is Kyle has been sitting here, and, and he's not afraid to say it. No. That he knew, <laughs> he knew that Hugh Jackson was a disaster the second he was hired, because he knew him for three years. So with that, I, I give you the floor. Have at it. Um, well, for me, a lot of, like, Hugh treated me well. And he, so let's start there. He did treat individual guys well. I mean, um, Jake, you know, he had a good connection with him, Jake Plummer. Other guys had good connections with him. But to kind of give you an idea of where Hugh was, like, Hugh and I – actually gambled we bet on college football games my first year so throughout <laughs> oh the entire game, <laughs> betting on games uh, i think the statute of limitations might be passed by now but uh he did pay up um he lost so i felt good about that but we kept playing throughout the year so that was my first year there kind of introducing myself to him and then as the years went on not so much while i was at arizona state but it was more like when i was done kind of the stories I heard about Hugh, you know, he just, he is the type of guy. And I think we saw this a little bit, you know, on hard knocks is, you know, it's kind of about him, make it about me. 
doing it, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get myself the job. If that means, you know, I might have to throw somebody under the bus or, you know, say something that, you know, may or may not be true, you know, put it in out there to make himself look better. Those were the words that I got from people who, you know, those things happened to. And so I just never believed that he was, as a head coach, someone who could manage those personalities, right, and be a guy who could oversee a, you know, in this case, a professional team. I, you know, he's more suited to be uh, a coordinator. But when you are the head guy, as you guys know, I mean, you live through the 1-31, and 31, that things don't really change. They just kind of keep saying the same thing and in hopes of changing and things don't really change. Um, but, you know, throwing people under the bus or, you know, to make yourself look good is obviously a horrible quality. And it's, you know, I heard it from more than a few people. So, you know, that's kind of why when I found out he was going to be the Browns head coach, I was just like, yeah, I don't see this working really well. And so one of the things you and I have discussed often, uh, in addition to offensive line play, which we'll get to, is this discussion about culture and what that right. actually means. And I, I think part of this is we need another word for the quick fix type of thing or whatever that, that dose is. Because in reality, you know, Baker Mayfield being a culture changer, I, I don't really think that's necessarily true either. Uh, and that's partly because if uh, if Baker Mayfield is taken out of the equation, like, you know, he gets hit by a bus tomorrow. Like culture right. is something that you, it takes years to get in of into or out of. And the same that I think Hugh Jackson getting fired certainly helps. But culture is built. It takes years. So when people say this type of stuff to you, what is sort of your thought process about it? Culture to me is about when you look at the leaders of a team, right? When you look at the guys that have been in the system, whether it's professionally or at a particular school, right? When you look at them, you can pick out what the school or team is about. So for us, like when I was at Arizona State, when, when we first, when I first got there, we didn't have much of a culture. The culture that, you know, we were living off of was Frank Cush and, and what he had accomplished with those teams. And we had had obviously a really good year in 86 and we went to the Rose Bowl, but it was fleeting. Um, my first few years there, we had some great guys, but it wasn't cohesive, right? It wasn't everybody moving in the same direction. Uh, and that for us really didn't happen until 90, the after the 95 season, we went seven and five, didn't go to a bowl game and everybody made the commitment to stay in, work out, be a team. And then you start to develop one chemistry culture doesn't happen if you don't have chemistry, right? And so it doesn't matter how talented or, or, you know, what the coaches are saying, if the team itself doesn't gel, and that comes, as you said, Pete, that comes from the guys that were there so that they can teach, you know, in this case, a Baker Mayfield, while he brings in energy and a confidence, it also allows those veterans to say, hey, this is what we're about. What are you about? How can we get this thing going in the right direction together? So you do need, you know, some new faces, but that culture is built from the guys that have been there, have put in the time, put in the effort, and now have become the leaders of that team. So, you know, in the instance of Arizona State, it was the Jake Plummers, the Juan Roques, the, you know, defensive tackle, Sean Sueda, you know, guys, guys like that that have really invested their time into turning the program around and making it known for what it was my last two years there, which was we were physical, we were tough, um, you know, we were going to run the football. I mean, you knew who we were. We had an identity, and we stuck to that identity. But that was also developed by the coaching staff, what they demanded from us, what they expected. Um, and then if they didn't 
if you didn't live up to that standard, they would find somebody that would, right? Until you're meeting, until you're getting to the place that you want, which is whatever your identity as a team should be. And then, as you said, Pete, if somebody were to leave, you know, like if a Baker left or if a Jake left, while that hurts because of who those individuals are as people, ultimately the culture should stay intact because that's what you've developed as a program, as a team, not as one or two individuals. If, if anything, I think the situation with Duke Johnson and Baker Mayfield revealed culture and, and what's happening with the Browns because, you know, after that whole thing happened, you're hearing reports that veterans went to Baker Mayfield and sort of, you know, explained their thoughts on it and voiced their displeasure. And some people are, you know, saying, well, that's that's not good. No, I, I disagree. I think that's exactly what should happen. That That is sort of letting him know. And in, in addition, I think it was a small faux pas. Uh, not the end of the world, but I do think that as guys right. letting them know what is the culture of this football team and what is this ultimately going to have, which is why you and I have both sort of scoffed at the idea that, well, if you bring Jarvis Landry in, well, he's a culture changer. That's not really how it works. And it doesn't mean he's not a good person. doesn't mean he doesn't practice right. hard. It mean he's not trying to do all those things he's trying to do. It's just... It, it, it doesn't work that way. And, and again, it, whether you want to call it energy, you want to call it, you know, simply bringing in talent, which, you know, obviously accelerates the whole process when you're good. Everybody's going to tell you the culture is different. If you, if you bring in a bunch of superstars, you can call it whatever right. you want. But that's really just talent. So, yeah, that's one of those things. But the other thing. Well, and, and, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead and finish. It's all good. No, I was going to ask you about offensive linemen at that point. Um, I mean, yeah, so there's a, a really good analogy. So in 90, in the spring of 96, Derek Rogers, defensive end, had come in. Um, he had, was in the Air Force, the actual Air Force, yep. not the Air Force Academy, and was looking to play. And, and he picked us, and we gave him a scholarship. Uh, and so what he did is he – came into a situation like I was describing where we had put in a lot of time and put in a lot of effort and decided together, you know, kind of as a team, what we are going to be. He came in and was a perfect fit into that because of how he practiced. He was always running to the ball, you know, hundred percent effort all the time. And so he fit in and it also let people know that, look, if you're not going to be like this, we would go out and find people who are. And it helped, obviously, that Derek was, you know, very talented. But he didn't change our culture. He added to what was already there. And I think you could probably say that about Landry in that this, the attributes that he brings to the team fit in and mold well with what has already been developed. So, like you said, it seems as if, he has changed the culture to some, but in reality, he has fit in and added to the culture that was already developed. Right, and another example I think is is and is JC Treader. He's been this this will be his uh, third season. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he should be extended, but doing what he did last year, effectively playing on one leg. Uh, is you know that that thing where you take away the excuse of the guy you know the the guy who's you know not le- not inclined to want to practice and want to sort of stay in the tub doesn't want to practice until he's a hundred percent that you, you sort of eliminate that excuse when you have this mentality of a guy who's saying I literally cannot practice but I'm going to drag my ass out there on Sunday not only play I mean it's not like Willis Reed where you're going for t- you know two buckets and then leaving the floor you know, in an inspirational right. move, he's actually doing his job at a high level and playing well despite the one leg. 100%. That, that is what the expectation and your teammates now, right, when they see that, or when you, if you're that individual, if you're J.C. Treader doing that, Right. That's there's going to be part of that expectation is like, look, you know, yes, you're not 100 percent. Right. And there's a difference, obviously, between being hurt 
and being injured, right? If you're injured and you, you know, can't go and it's going to shorten your career, then, you know, you got to make smart decisions, but also putting yourself out there for your teammates saying, look, I want this change. This is what I'm willing to do to make it so we change what the perception is of us, but more importantly, where we are going in the future. Absolutely. In, in my opinion, and you know, I'm biased obviously, but the, the offensive line is what sets the tone for your entire team, right? The well, quarterback I, is the most valuable because it just, as we've seen, particularly with the Browns, a great example, right? How valuable that is, but who your team is, look at the offensive line and that will tell you who your team is. And very rarely is that wrong. Oh, well, there's if you have a good offensive line, it's going to, you know, usually it gears towards your success. And you made a great point of it. And we've had Joe Schobert on the show, and he went down the same day that J.C. Treader got his injury. And Joe, and mm-hmm. even when I talked to him, it was well if the season was over and the hamstring was still bothering him. And there's that, the locker room thing of, you know, you don't want to be the first guy that has to tap out. Because once one guy right. taps out injury-wise – then all of a sudden that number starts to grow and grow and grow. And you, that's where one thing where the Browns got lucky last year is on the injury front. But you want, you don't, I mean, look, if it's, if it's a blown knee, if it's a broken bone, you know, like you said, there's nothing you can do. You got to make smart decisions. But if you think you can go and it's, you know, three hours, you know, once every seven days and it's, you know, you're doing it for the greater cause. Nobody wants to be that first guy that's got to tap out. And you're right. And, and even more so, if you are seeing your, you know, your top players, your J.C. Treaders, you know, your uh, Schoberts, your, you know, your Miles Garrett, if it was him, um, though, if you see these individuals who are the leaders, the top players on your team doing that, man, that sets the tone for everybody. Like, look, that's the expectation here. Again within reason, but the expectation is, is if you're able to go, you find a way to go and that trickles down. And then, like we said at the beginning, if you aren't on board with that expectation, then the staff's going to find people who do believe in that expectation. Cause there's always guys out there that, you know, want to play. So it does, that's what, you know, as Pete said, it, it culture changes. It takes time. It takes, you know, a lot of different variables that happen. And that's one of the most important ones right there is when you see your top guys going after it, even though they're not healthy or they can't practice, man, that puts the, that lights a fire. It would light a fire under me. And my guess is it lights a fire under uh, everybody else, you know, within the Browns organization. Oh, absolutely. would have to, um, before we get back here to Pete, um, now, I, I had, in, I guess it had to be probably almost four years ago now, uh, we, we got to sit down with Jake Plummer, and we talked about everything, because Jake is the guy, out of, you know, it'd be a waste to just talk to Jake Plummer about just football, because he's, you know, Agreed. he's a guy's guy, he can just literally talk about everything, um, but, you know, he had talked about, you know, that team, and that, obviously, that special year where it all came together for you guys, Um but what was it like once the momentum started to grow early in that, obviously, what was the 96 regular season, which led to the week three when all of a sudden, you know, here was, oh, Arizona State started off nice, but oh my God. I mean, because I think at the time, I think you guys went from like, after beating, you know, uh, beating Nebraska, you guys went from like 20 to like seven in the country. But what was it like just you know, realizing how the hard work was coming together? couple things we actually we didn't jump up as much as we thought we would we didn't even hit I don't, if i'm remembering correctly i don't believe we hit the top 10 after beating them if okay. i remember correctly um but neither here nor there so this actually ties into what we were just talking about because why we were able to beat nebraska was because we got shellacked by them the year before right we, we lost to that 95 nebraska team which in my opinion is the best college football team i've ever seen uh, we lost to them 77 to 28 and it was a real, you know, eye opener, um, for us. And then we had some nice wins. Like we won in 95, uh, up at Oregon when they were ranked 10th, but then we lost to U of A <clears throat> our last game, which knocked us out of a bowl game. So when we came back, 
um, that's when, you know, we committed. And then, like you said, when we got to the third game, we were just, as we were rolling into the stadium on, our, on the buses, so I think most people know, but if they don't, you know, college teams take two buses, just I think the pro teams do the same. One has the offense on it, one has the defense. And as we were driving to the stadium and getting closer, all we kept seeing is red shirts, you know, all these red Nebraska shirts, red, 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 red. And it just fired us up even more. Um, and when we got into the stadium, there was just a belief by looking in each other's eyes that we weren't going to lose that game. Like it just wasn't, we weren't going to lose it. And obviously we ended up going on getting the shutout 19, nothing. But what our coaching staff did a great job of is they never allowed us to think about what we had just done, like the win, like how important the win was. So after we beat Nebraska, which was a Saturday night, we came in on Sunday and immediately when we came into the building, there were beat Oregon signs all over the walls, the elevator, you know, where we had our meetings, everything, because our coaching staff wanted to say, hey, we're on to the next. And so that was our mentality. We didn't really think about, I mean, we knew we had done something special by beating them, but we really hadn't gotten that momentum rolling until we beat UCLA. We had come back and, and beat them. Uh, we, we hammered Oregon, then we uh, played at UCLA, we're down 28-7. By the way, that's Burns' alma mater. Just it is. Clear. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, we beat them, came back and beat them, and then we beat SC in double overtime. That's when we really started to understand that we had an opportunity to do something special. Like, we knew the Nebraska win was special, but when we had come back to beat UCLA and then, you know, beat SC in double overtime, that's when it really hit us that, hey, man, we – we got a chance here. And then we just, we kept, you know, that kind of company line or what, you know, what we had just talked about with culture and look, it's one at a time. That was our motto. That was coach Snyder's motto. It's one at a time, one game at a time, you know, one half at a time, one quarter at a time, so on and so forth. So we really just moved on to the next. And it was when we beat Arizona and then had the, the, the delay heading into the Rose Bowl, you know, that month off, that was like, man, we've really accomplished something here. You know, we're not done, but we've really accomplished something. And it was really probably in the off season that we really got to enjoy it um, and, you know, celebrate it. Uh, when we were in it, man, you're just you're really into the next week and trying to get the next W. So, um, but, yeah, after UCLA and after SC, that's when, the light bulb, you know, really kicked off for all of us. Well, uh, before I kick it to Pete, I remember, you know, living, you know, that night when you guys played Nebraska, and, like, it used to be, like, 10 o'clock Eastern is, like, when some normal channels <laughs> would throw some games. And I know I've told you this before. And, like, my buddies were like, dude, Arizona State is taking down Nebraska. And, like, a lot of them weren't local to the area we lived. You know, where I went to school, it was 20 minutes from, you know, where right. I grew up. I'm like, give me the remote, give me the remote, I'll start and then, and like, three, everybody at the same time, thank you, Floyd, thank you. And it was like, all right, well, we're not watching anything else right now. If Nebraska's about to go down, this is what we are going to watch. Go ahead, Pete. Yeah, it, it, sorry. It was, I, for me, what's crazy is Nebraska, the, playing them in the fourth quarter is exactly like playing them in the first quarter. They hit as hard. They're, you know, they're as physical. They play as fast. Um, so while – the, you know, we shut them out, man. I, until that, until those zeros hit, I was not confident in terms of like that they weren't going to score, that they weren't going to make it closer. Until the game was actually over, then it was like, holy crap! I can't believe we did that. Absolutely. So you know, one of the, in addition to the fact that we both know Ryan Burns, you and I have sort of started talking to each other quite a bit. Well, in addition to just busting each other's balls, uh, right. Over oh, connecting in, in the way that you have uh, been very up, keeping up to date in terms of offensive line play, and we have uh, subscribed to a lot of the same people who teach it, like LaCharles Bentley and offensive line performance and all that stuff. Uh, but, Mike, you know, what do you think has been the biggest sort of failure in terms of evolving offensive linemen to keep up 
with uh, with the way the game has gone. Because, uh, you know, obviously from the time when you played, guys could come into the NFL regularly and were ready to play as opposed to now. And because, because right. to me, I think just blaming on the spread is a gigantic cop-out um, because the guys who are really successful at it are doing the same things they would have done uh, back then. It didn't, you know, the, the, a lot of the successful principles are still just the same. Uh, it's just sort of adapting to what they're facing. And I, I think most of it is really just a matter of adapting to the type of athletes that are being put across from them. Obviously, guys that would have been, uh, you know, receivers and stuff are now being able to physically train themselves up. Tight ends and stuff are now defensive ends. Linebackers are defensive ends and stuff like that. I think that's more reality of what's actually being the problem. Yeah, I mean, I, so I agree with you in terms of the spread because if you look at teams, I mean, Oklahoma spread, and they, you know, they run the football and they're physical. And look at their offensive linemen that went in the draft this year, right? And yes, they've had the last two Heisman Trophy winner, winners because of how talented they those two guys are, but it's also because of the offensive lines that they've had, right, and the and their offensive line coach. So I'm with you. I don't. I think you can be any. You can still be physical and run the spread, right? All the spread really is is spreading the defense out. So it's giving you a better advantage. It's what you do with that advantage, you know, that matters. Are you a running? You know, are you run first or are you pass first? But for me, I think. Part of what has been lost is this notion that if you are spread, you're soft, or that if you don't do it like the old school guys, that it's soft, right? That it's, well, back when I played, yeah, it's just different. We learn more, and to your point, Pete, guys have gotten bigger, stronger, and faster. I mean, again, the top defensive tackle and the National Football League is Aaron Donald, and he's, a, and he's on the inside, right? We normally saw one or two guys or really, you know, good guys inside, but you were more worried about the edge. Now you got to worry about those guys all through the line, right? If it's a third-down passing situation and, you know, you've got all speed rushers, a lot of the Giants, you know, did to the Patriots back, you know, in that Super Bowl, that makes it difficult. So you have to, as an offensive lineman, then train more specifically for your skill, right? To, so that you can be better at your position by increasing your skill so that you can match these guys who are incredibly fast off the ball and are strong, right? And all of those things. So for me, it's about, are we developing the skill of the offensive lineman, as you said, Pete, the Charles Bentley and offensive line performance, or are we simply just doing drills, right, for the scheme and thinking that is what works. And what works, as we see with the top offensive linemen in the league, is having skill, developing, you know, pass blocking, run blocking, understanding that it's not always about low man wins, right? It's about leverage. Those types of things. So just being smarter about how you train in, in terms of an offensive lineman and developing your craft in a way that suits today's football, right? Getting the head out of football, not saying, well, back when I played, you know, I shot my hands and I shot, you know, my forehead of my, my helmet. Okay, well, you have to adapt and you have to change. But you have to put time in outside of just your normal practice, whether that's professionally or whether that's in college. You have to develop because other guys are spending that time too on their own. So you have to match that. And so I think that there are a few different variables, but I'm with you in that it's not the spread. The spread hasn't killed offensive line play. It's other positions have gotten better and, you know, are the offensive linemen putting in that time to develop their craft to meet what they're going to see on Saturdays or Sundays. Yeah. And I think that that's why, you know, one of the big failures I think of so many of these leagues or, or the NFL and college 
is the best offensive line coaches too often are like 70 years old. Um, they, yep. you know, not, and, and I think it's getting a little bit better, but it's just not, there's not enough development in terms of like understanding that. And I'm hoping obviously Bentley's one of those Duke many weathers, another one of those, the, the, these people who are really focused on teaching offensive line, not just offensive linemen, but they're teaching people how to coach offensive line, which is really the big problem here that hopefully that will improve things because like, you know, I'm not an offensive line coach. I mean, I, I, I study mm-hmm. it because it's so important, but it like, it galls me how often like it, people take stance for granted. Like it's the most important tool you could possibly have to get in yeah. a, a, a good, a good start, whether it's, you know, the same attitude you would getting into a squat rack or anything else that you're get, putting yourself into position to maximize your power, uh, to to put yourself in position to succeed, and you see so much shit in terms of you know how guys are there and they're beat before they even start the play, and we're sitting there going, well, this kid sucks, but he never right. had a chance uh, with some of these guys, and and you're 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 looking at like a, a guy who's you know we're, a guy who's being talked about as a top fifteen pick, and the kid has a, a shitty stance. And we're saying, well, the kid can't block him. And maybe the kid can't, but he never had a chance in the be- to begin with and didn't have the tools to even to, to even give a good effort there. Totally agree. Uh, it, there, there is definitely a balance, right? Like, we look, there has to be some acknowledgement from, you know, guys like me and, and younger guys, too, that, you know, the, those who have been in the NFL to a degree – have knowledge, right? They, they have been successful, um, you know, and there are still really good coaches, you know, in the NFL. But to your point, Pete, yeah, it can't be, again, this is how, well, when I played, it was this. The thing I love about LaCharles and OLP and the thing that blew me away was it's everything science-based, right? The stuff that he's teaching is based in body movement. So it doesn't matter if it's an offensive lineman, a running back, a receiver. For instance, if I want to go to my left, if I'm a receiver, I'm going to plant with my right foot, right? I'm going to push off my right to go left. That's physics, right? Equal and opposite directions. And it's the same thing that we're applying to offensive line play. Like if I want to go to my left, I got to drive off my right foot. I don't want to step. I want to drive because when I step, I'm in a lunge position, but when I drive, I'm in a more of a squat position. Squats, you're stronger in your squats than you are in a lunge for obvious reasons. So things like that. And you're right. I never put a lot of time into stance. I, you know, I worked on my guy's stances, but it wasn't, I didn't put the time in it like I do now. But then I, you know, learned stance is a skill. It is something that deteriorates over time if you don't work at it. So that makes it a skill. So that's where everything starts. It starts in your stance. And as you said, Pete, if a guy has a terrible stance, he's putting himself at a disadvantage to work through the angle to get whoever he needs to get. And maybe he can, but we don't know because, you know, his mechanics, his movement are break are broken down so that he can't get there. And I was hesitant um, but then when I tried it and I started training, uh, there's a kid by the name of Mike Safel. He's a, a center up at Cal, uh, and being able to work with him, uh, he was, when he was a teenager, uh, in high school and he spoke the same language as I did, like that's how much he loves offensive line play. So I was able to put myself through it and talk through these things with him. And it was like a light bulb just went off in my head. It was like, holy shit, I've been doing it. I, not that I've necessarily been doing it wrong. It's more, this is a better way. And I, and it's such a better way. And it wasn't until I put myself, my body through those positions that I was like, I don't understand how anybody doesn't want to do it this way. Not because it's LB's way, but because if you put your body in those positions that he's talking about and do the things that you need to do as an offensive lineman, it makes you way more efficient and it makes you, uh, just more sound in everything you're doing. But I mean, look, you have to step 
outside of yourself and be willing to challenge yourself to say that maybe I, let me try this. It might be wrong. It might be right. But then if it's the things that you've been doing, if there's a better way, then you have to be willing to go, I need to be doing it this way. And the way I was doing it before isn't correct or isn't the most efficient would be a better way to say it. And unfortunately, not enough people were willing to do that, particularly in football, right? It's the way back in the 70s, back in the 80s, da-da-da-da-da. You've got to be willing to say, look at yourself and self-reflect, how can I get better, right? Maybe what I've been doing isn't the best way. And be willing to be a lifelong learner. That's the key, right? It's like life. You've got to be willing to continue to learn because there are always people who know more than you do. It's just a matter of, are, are you seeking it? Are you trying to go out there? And that's what Twitter ended up being for me initially was it gave me an opportunity to connect to offensive line coaches. I was able to connect with, you know, LaCharles. Um, and it's just expanded my view of the position, but it's also helped me. I can communicate with other guys about it. That makes me a better coach. There, there are definitely things that he's actually going the opposite way on. And I know you've been to clinics and I'm sure you saw people sitting there arguing with him, which when it was, when I was there was hysterical. I, I'm sorry. I just, I couldn't help but sitting there laughing at it. Um, but I, I don't think it's so much that he's necessarily fighting against that many things. I think it's a lot of just filling in the gaps and just, fill, uh, you know, adding to uh, stuff. Obviously, the stance is a big part of it, but like just emphasizing how important the ball and socket joint is with your shoulder and why you have to do right. like overhead training as opposed to just, you know, like shrugs aren't enough, for example, and that type of stuff. You actually have to do things that actually are going to strengthen that joint because of how delicate it is and how important it is. Uh, but uh, the last thing I will ask you on this is obviously you had an, a, a, a great career at Arizona State, but knowing all the things you know now, how, I don't know if I'd say angry, but uh, there have to be times where you're sitting there going, man, if I knew this, oh. then I, you, I, I'd either be, I'd either have done even better or I'd have gone, you know, people just wouldn't have had a chance. So many times that I've gone, man, I, I wish I would have known, right? And again, sometimes I feel guilty about that because I was coached really well. I did have a really good career. Uh, I'm thankful for everything that I was able to uh, go through, right? Even the injuries, you know, the friendships I made. But, yeah, I mean, I look at it now and go, yeah, maybe – I don't get banged up as much, right? Uh, I've had four knee surgeries, shoulder surgery, shoulder replacement, those kinds of things, maybe. Um, so what I try to do is I try to take that energy and then focus that into making the kids I train now as best that they can be. That's So because I had some success, I don't think I have as much regret maybe as – maybe somebody else does or that I just think of it differently. I've definitely had that thought multiple times of how great this is. And it would have been the training aspect. Cause as you said, the thing I love about OLP is that it's not just about the football portion. They connect everything, right? The, the sports medicine part, the training properly part in the weight room, making sure that you're training the parts of your body so that it translates to the things that you're going to do on the field uh, so all of those things definitely make me go, man, I think I could have even been better. Um, but I just try to now focus on learning as much as I can so that I can pass that on. But the amount of knowledge, it, it's, it's a wormhole for sure. Like I mean, you can get caught on a, I can get caught on a site just watching videos and reading and you know, it's like, woof, it's a lot. It, it took me, it probably took me a good six months to really, understand and process to where I felt like I could be an effective teacher. And then, you know, I've used Twitter just again to connect to other coaches and try to pass on some of the things I've learned. And that has then created a domino effect to where 
those individuals are learning and then passing it on to other people. So I try to use it that way, but there have definitely been those moments. Uh, of course, but I mean, and there's the other thing is, you know, it's, you know, as much as you want to look back in the past and say, if I had known that, but you know, you can't undo that. So it's, you know, it, it becomes a tough juxtaposition. And the best thing is, is that, that you're taking this and saying, well, how can I use this? to help others, and obviously this is what you do. I'm going to sneak it in here, uh, an ad here. Uh, guys, uh, former Arizona State All-American uh, Kyle Murphy joining us here. Uh, obviously, we've gotten through his career here, you know, the offensive line work that he does now. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at Untuck It. Dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and so should their shirts. Like tall, short, slim, relaxed. Ever wonder why your father's button-up looks so long and baggy at the end of the day? It can be hard for guys to pull off a casual, untucked look that doesn't look sloppy. That's where Untuck It comes in. Untuck It is the solution that fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com, promo code NFL to get 20% off. Um, before we get to the Rose Bowl game, um, look Kyle, obviously these things come up every year. You know The, the Pat Tillman memorials and all you know all the stuff and obviously the anniversary of his passing um in for us and you know from guys like me and Pete like we just respect the player from the we respect the fact of you know a guy here was a guy who was you know an in-betweener found a way to the NFL and still found a way to still excel there and just shows that work ethic and you know just doing what you're asked will, will eventually lead to success and then obviously you know everybody knows the story but what's it like for you and obviously all you know Arizona State teammates to know to know the guy, to know the decision he made, and then obviously sadly to know the way it all ended. It's so so. Please, you know, I mean, it's it's not a story that anyone ever gets tired of hearing, listening of. For me, um, and I know other guys, it's such a double-edged sword um, because we all know that by we I'm talking about you know former teammates he would have hated how much you know how much people talk about him how much um, you know the stories the the honor runs all of that but he would have also understood and respected the fact that you know they are trying to help the Pat Tillman Foundation is trying to help you know servicemen and women further their education and so that's really the Pat Tillman fund is a lot like Pat in that it's looking to help, but it's born out of a, you know, obviously a terrible loss. So for Pat, and what I mean by that is, is Pat was a football player, but he was just so much more than that. He was a student. He was a friend. He was, you know, just a good guy that you could sit down and talk to. I think the best thing that for me that I loved about Pat is Pat if he was on your podcast or if he sat down with you guys individually, the very first thing he would do is, so tell me about your day. How, how are things going for you? He was so interested in other people and other people's stories and wanted to genuine, genuinely, I uh, said that poorly, <laughs> hear what they had to say that that's what made him so special to us. Like it's hard for me to go and see the statue of him. I love that it honors him. But for me, it's my friend, you know, and so that's, that's tough. It's a tough thing to see and it's a tough thing to experience, but I also understand how much pride and joy he brings to, you know, people from Arizona state, people from the state of Arizona, and then obviously around the country. But, you know, he was just like a lot of those guys on that team and it's why we were so successful and it really ties back in to the the culture talk that we had at the beginning they're just really good people right for the most part 90 percent of those guys are good people you know you have doctors teachers lawyers real estate guys you know family men all of that that are successful in their own way because of how what type of people they are. And that was Pat. Pat was, he was interested in what you had to say. He wasn't shining you on. He wasn't, you know, doing it to, for pleasantries. 
He was doing it because he was interested. And I don't know that there's a better attribute as a person that they care about what other people have to say and having a willingness to listen to them. And he and I, you know, had a couple of different talks, one at camp for uh, a couple hours. And then, you know, I got to, I was flying next to him uh, on one of our, on our trips and we had a big book of quotes and, you know, he brought it with him on every flight and we just, you know, talked about some of the, his favorite quotes and that. So he was, he was just an all around person. Football was one aspect of his life, but it wasn't his whole life is the best way to explain it. Uh, and, and I don't think there's any better way. And it just, he'll always be, you know, synonymous with, you know, you know, as far as, you know, everybody, you know, everybody, and it, this is always a huge thing. And it comes up on Twitter with, you know, the, the thoughts and prayers and where, you mm-hmm. know, Pat Tillman was the, no, if shit needs to be done, sign me up I'll go do it and and I think that's you know the, the the fact that he was such a inspirational player because you know everybody will look at him well you're a little bit too small you don't fit here you're a tweener and then it here he was with this great career and said well no uh, it seems to be there's a bigger cause so I'm gonna go help out with that and we'll see where things shake out in a couple of years I mean it's still one of you know I think the the man that he is will forever be underestimated. I agree with you. And I, the thing that I respected the most out of that decision is his comment. This is what's right for me. Doesn't mean it's right for everybody else. This is just what's right for me. And he, he did things that he felt were right for him and he did them. And when he made those decisions, he gave it everything he had, you know, what's, What's so interesting about Pat in, in terms of the football player, he's one of the hardest dudes I ever hit. You know, when we were in practice, I, you know, played against a lot of top guys, a lot of great guys. Hitting him was like, you know, hitting a brick shithouse, man. He was five foot 11, 200 pounds, 205 pounds, and it was all muscle. And when you hit him, I was like, damn. You know, so the respect factor from him as a football player just grew to who he was as a person which then grew even bigger, you know, when he gave up playing professionally. But again, he, that's what he felt was right for him. And he wanted people to know you need to do what's right for you, right? Make decisions that are best for you. And if you do that, then you'll be happy with yourself and, and you can, wherever the chips fall, you'll be all right with it. Jump on in here, Pete. No, I'm, I'm- what am I? What am I going to ask him? I mean, this is one of those where uh, you know I, I'm happy to just let him sort of go. Yep. All right. And and now, obviously, you know, with our huge Ohio listenership, um, <laughs> t- t- right, <laughs> take a take a Kyle, take us through. T- and obviously, you know, with one forty to go, uh, you know, Jake always the you know pulls the rabbit up. out of the hat. Oh boy! Let's back up. So- Here we go. No. <laughs> well, if you start at 140, I, I'm right into the losing part. I don't want the so. All right. Um, Go ahead. The drive. So basically, the drive. right. So, so what I never anticipated. I knew I was going to be nervous, but I was like, it took me a while to settle down in that game. Like it's, it, it is mind blowing when you look around and the Rose Bowl is filled. And then you start to think about how many people are actually watching on TV. So it took a bit to get going in that game. And that obviously that Ohio state team was incredibly talented. Um, But the drive before their final drive, we were down and then uh, it's actually on my, no, it's not on my Twitter. That one's not on my Twitter page, but there's a clip that was shown just on Twitter last week where, you know, I jumped, it was a pass. Ohio State ended up blitzing and sending more than we had. So Katzen Moyer, if you remember him, true yeah. freshman, middle linebacker, blitzed. Jake made a miss and was able to kind of dance his way through. I saw him out of the corner of my eye and basically, you know, jumped forward just a little bit, enough for him to, to get by behind me. He dove into the end zone. I dogpiled him. You know, we were super excited. Um, and then the last, 
and then they got the ball back. Joe Germain uh, was the quarterback of that last drive. We had three defensive uh, PIs. Yep. I think uh, they were either – I think three of them – all three of them were either on – they were on third or fourth down. I kept the drives alive. I think two of them for sure were on fourth down. And then, you know, David Boston ran a like a real quick out, you know, like a fake slant pivot route type, and Jermaine hit him in the end zone. Um, so they went up. We got the ball back, and then uh, we made a really good throw. Jake made a really good throw to Lindsey Jackson on the left sideline, and then that just is kind of where it ended, and we ended up losing 20-17, to 17 and – National championship hopes gone. We ended up fourth in the country. We were two at the time. Um, it's my only time I played Ohio State. Uh, and what's really funny about it is, obviously, LeCharles played at Ohio State. And so I see him uh, a few times a year. And then I've become friends with um, two guys that were who played at Ohio State. Uh, and, again, it's an offensive line connection type of a thing. And we give each other a hard time. Uh, and, but we've become good friends. But it took me – I visited – I went to the Ohio State-Penn State game at you in 2017, and it took – that was basically 20 years, you know, 20-plus years, 20-and-a-half years since the Rose Bowl. And that was the first time I felt ready to actually do something like that. I don't think I would have been ready. If, That's understandable. There's so it no was that loss was That loss was hard. I mean, it – um, and for us, you know, I don't know that we would have won, but having a month off definitely didn't help us. Uh, we had just, we waxed, uh, Arizona 56 to 14 and, you know, we're on a really good roll and then, you know, all your momentum just basically stops and you got to wait a month to go play. And it took us, you know, we never really got our offense back in rhythm, probably that whole game. Now, part of that's because of their defense. But part of that is because, you know, having a month off was just just a killer for, for an offense. It's okay for your defense. It's just terrible for your offense, though. No doubt. It's one of those things that, that I hate uh, because, well, you know, it, even though I'm nominally an Ohio State fan, it absolutely favors bigger programs uh, and, and makes it really hard for, let's say, you know, let's say Army was going to go to a big-time bowl. Well, you know, their team that you, you you play on flow and all that stuff and, and the challenge of trying to prepare for them over a week, you give people a month for that type of thing and it just completely invalidates it and it gives – it's just an automatic nod to those teams that just have more physical talent that can generally recruit better, which is always going to favor, uh, you know, the bigs. And, and obviously that's a big key for – you know, people like to talk about how great the SEC is. Well, that's a real reason why they're so good is that you give them a month or a month and a half to sort of prepare. And, you know, they've got young guys who are stepping up. They've got older guys that are just physically more talented. And you're giving them their coaches or, you know, higher paid and all that stuff, more time to sort of get sorted. And it's just a gigantic, uh, you know, middle finger to the teams that win smart or, have you know smart players that that, that can adjust over uh, you know a short carryover as opposed to a full month off to prepare? Yeah, again, us playing you know a good example would be us playing Nebraska in '95 versus us playing them in '96, right? Having faced that option, uh, having seen it, having film of it of how of what we did previously helps. So if you have that month off as you said, it absolutely benefits those, you know, with bigger programs because you can also, you know, give your starters more breaks, start to develop more of your younger guys, as you said, you know, that are starting to step up or that you want to see. Um, if you have, you know, a month to prepare for a Georgia Tech when, you know, prior to Paul Johnson retiring and you get to really, you know, develop your game plan through practice of what, you see working versus the scout team, what's not, that's definitely an advantage. So for us, we really were playing off rhythm. I mean, we were a run first team. We were an eye formation. I mean, I don't know that Jake threw more than 30 times 
maybe two, maybe two or three times in his whole career. It wasn't a ton, uh, maybe a little bit more, but not much. So we were, you know, a running football team. And it, I always equate it to like camp, right? If you go, you guys have been to Brown's camp and you see it. Offense always struggles in the beginning because it's a timing thing, right? You got to get all those guys working together. So, you know, that's the same issue that you run into in those bowl games is getting those, getting that, getting that rhythm. And so if you have a stud defense or you got dudes in your program on the defensive side of the ball, you're definitely at an advantage. Um, our defense played really well, but I mean, it just hurt us because, you know, we played really well when we kind of, you know, week after week, we didn't have any bye weeks uh, that I re- We had a bye week before Arizona, but that was our only bye week of, of that year. You know, and that's part of why we played really well is, you know, we just got better and better and better as the year went on. And then you kind of, then you hit that lull and you're just practicing. It's hard, man. It's hard because you don't have game-like situations. You don't have that game speed. So it takes you time. And then, you know, once you get into the rhythm of the game, yeah, you might be playing better, but you're also playing against, you know, a really good defense that knows your tendencies or knows what you like to do. So, you know, you're kind of fighting an uphill battle. I mean, ultimately, they made plays when we, you know, they made more plays than we did. But, yeah, I mean, it's still sour, man. I, you know, I don't dwell on it, but it, it definitely is still sour. <laughs> oh, there's no shame in being beaten by the best. <laughs> oh, dude. Come on. That hurts. <laughs> uh, that hurts. A kick. And, and Pete, wouldn't, <laughs> Pete wouldn't close it out without a dig. Pete, anything for a guy before we put a ball on this one here? So, here's what I would say. I would say tweet at FTBL sickness and let him know he's a selfish asshole because this could have you could have had all the Hugh Jackson stories years ago and he just wouldn't put it together. But no, I mean it's awesome. I, I, you know, Kyle Kyle's been great. We've been talking to him for you know, months, if not years at this point. And this is sort of one of those things we, we wanted to put together. And certainly, uh, you know, hopefully there's a time we can we can get together with this again and just, you know, just talk about more of the, the football and, and, and potentially the offensive line aspects of some of this stuff as the Browns get going since, you know, they may actually be on TV for, for Kyle to see this year. But he has <laughs> watched uh, that that we can sort of get down to that, but no, I mean it was you know this is one of those things where uh, I've been waiting to see it happen for a few years, w- regardless of where he went. Uh, Ryan's loss is our gain in this in this uh, circumstance. I don't feel bad about that, but no, it's just great to uh, finally finally put it together. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, you know, obviously, Kyle, um, for you and, you know, obviously to your family, family and everything you're doing, you know, continued success and everything. And, uh, obviously that's one of the things where, you know, me and you definitely have a job is we're trying to get through every single day while trying to manage two little people and hopefully turning them into great big people. (laughs) I'm I'm definitely trying. Luckily, uh, as I, I'm sure you are. I have uh, a wonderful wife that uh, helps in that regard. But, yeah, I'm just trying to make decent human beings. Uh, if, I, if I am able to do that, then job done on my part. Uh, and I will say, for those who don't know, and I'm sure there's not many, but uh, Ryan is my best friend. So if this is all in good fun, listeners. It's all in good fun. Of course, of course. And Ryan's been on the show here. Um, you know, look, Ryan would like to have some more time to do this, but you know, look, Ryan is the father himself and obviously with his career, it ties him up a little bit yeah. and obviously holds him back from, you know, doing what he would like to do, you know, uh with Browns note and do want to mention that because whenever Ryan At FTBL out, he, sickness uh yes. on Twitter, you can easily let him know how you feel. Yes. Uh as soon as you <laughs> listen to this pod or during. Yeah, Ryan's going to get blown up tomorrow morning and wonder what in the world he just woke up to. That's exactly going to happen. Um, <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh here right now. I'm trying. I'm trying to hold it back. But uh, this is what happens when uh, you, you let Pete just go off on his way. Um, Kyle Murphy, um, you can check him out at Warhogs56 on Twitter. Um, like we said, uh, Pete and I had said here, he, he's big with offensive line development. Obviously, we, you know, we got to talk to him about his career, very established there. Um, you guys, I'll, as always, you know, Pete's work over at Browns Maven, uh, BrownsMaven.com, um, at underscore Pete Smith underscore the show itself, at Locked on Browns. Uh, we always keep it follow back. It's a great way for you guys to communicate with the show and get things you want 
you know, either quite answered or put into the show or it you know, gives us ideas. And, you know, obviously we take a lot of that and we do run with it. Um, me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Um, this has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. We've gotten into it here with uh, Kyle Murphy, former Arizona State All-American offensive lineman. Um, you know, talks on Jake Plummer. Um, obviously, you know, uh, we got some really nice stuff on Hugh. And obviously Pat Tillman, the Rose Bowl, the fantastic 96 season that was the Arizona State Sun Devils. Uh, appreciate everybody for listening. You know, we'll keep coming out here. We have some more fun ideas to get in here. But, you know, obviously once camp starts, it'll be more back to the day-to-day business approach. But we can do this in the meantime and have some fun with it. Um, With that being said, LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.